Salutations, Simon Sayers. My name is Simon Yeo, and welcome back to another episode of this podcast. Today is 3rd of November 2020. It's the day of the US presidential election. Now, in this program, we want to just quickly talk about the governmental and political systems of America as a way of introduction to our listener. Now, to understand the governmental system of America, we have to go back to the very beginning. Now, America remained the only major nation to gain independence from the British Empire through war. And when we study the history, the roots of this American war for independence, they were in economic oppressions and restrictions of liberty. And that's why the founding members of America, when they were drafting the constitution for their new nation, they wanted to create a system where the different branches of the government are held accountable to one another. So we have the executive, which is led by the president and his or her cabinet. We have the congress, which is like our parliament, the legislature, they make all the different laws affecting all the citizens in the nation. Then we have the judges, the judiciary, who is supposed to interpret the constitutions to enforce the rule of law. So the constitution of the United States is designed in such a way that no single branch of the government can dominate one another. So this is illustrated very clearly in a very recent case. Now this is the case where the US House of Representatives, now that's the lower house in the Congress, we just call it House here, and it is equivalent to our Dewan Rakyak or UK House of Commons. And the House wanted President Trump to release his tax return to the Congress. So after a few rounds of litigation, the case reached the Supreme Court. So in the decision, Trump versus Mazars, and this is a very recent case where judgment was only delivered 9th of July 2020. The Supreme Court, in a 7-2 decision, ruled in favour of President Trump and said that Congress cannot demand the release of such document. Now, the court ruled that because of the separation of power doctrine and said that the Congress cannot simply demand the President to submit to their will. Chief Justice Roberts, in his judgment, this is what he said, Disputes between the legislative and executive branches were typically resolved through negotiations and not through the courts. So this is a clear example of the tension between the various branches of government. And we talk about how the balance of power is not tilted to one branch only. Now remember we talked about Russia in the previous episode. Russia is a nation where its constitution provides a tremendous right, a great amount of liberty and freedom to its citizens. But in reality, that is not the case. And the reason is very simple. There is no balance of power. In Russia, the president has such tremendous power that his authority overpowers the courts, the other cabinet member, the police, etc., etc., so that's why 
without the balance of power, there can be no liberty. So with this background, let's begin to, to talk about the American governmental system. Now, America is not what you would call majority rules democracy. And I know that is shocking to some of us because you may be thinking that, oh, isn't democracy about the majority, the majority rule? That is actually what we call mob rule. You know, mob is a group of majority. They gather around and they try to push their own agenda. Sometimes you get a mob that is very nice and sometimes you get a mob that is not so nice. And very interestingly, the American founding members, they were actually inspired by the French Revolution to some extent. Now, that is because among those who advocated for the revolution in France, they were those who were pushing for freedom and liberty. But by far and large, the French Revolution would be what we call a mob revolution. It is a revolution where the mob, in this case the larger group, they were oppressing those with different points of view. They were imposing their brand of politics without having any regard to basic rule of law and also right to exist. So the French Revolution can be compared more to the China Cultural Revolution where the Red Army came and just destroyed everything that they disagree with. Or you can compare it with the Socialist Revolution of Pol Pot in Cambodia. Now, why am I using this example? And the reason is very simple. We need to understand that America as a nation was not founded on that basis. Instead, it was set up as a constitutional republic. A republic is a type of government where you have a president, someone that is voted directly into the position, and then the power of the president will be balanced by the Congress, the lawmakers, and also by the courts, the Supreme Court, who will be the judge in issues regarding the rule of law. So just very quickly, let me just uh, describe some of the different elements of the government. First, you have the president, and today is the day the Americans are going to vote for their next president. And it is a four-year term. So a president can come in and be a president for a four-year term, and he can get another term. So that means maximum two term. Then you have the elections of House of Representatives, which is, again, we have said previously, like Malaysia's, their one right, yeah. And they are voted in for only two years. So it's a very short term. Then you have another house, which is the Senate. And senators are voted in for six years. Now, it's very interesting because when you look at Malaysia, you know, we have the executive, we have the legislature, the parliament, you know, both houses. They are all voted in at the same time, every cycle. But in America, they have four years, they have two years, they have six years. And really, I think here you begin to see the design of balance. So, for example, whoever is voted in as president after this election, two years into his presidency, there will be elections for a number of House of Representatives because their terms of two years are up. So in such scenario, the voters, the citizens, the people are always given the opportunity to balance the government. So it is very, very common for president, 
to have an opposing house of representative. That is just the way that the system is designed. And I know some people will be like, isn't that inefficient? Are we not making things hard? I mean, the whole system is based on accountability. And with such a system, the different sides, the different parties, they will need to come and begin to have a compromise. So that's why the American Constitutional Republic is really a system of compromise. Then, of course, we talk about the Senate. The Senate is what we call the higher house. And it is very different from the Senate in Malaysia. Because the Senate in Malaysia is really more, more of a formality. For example, if you pass a law in the House of Commons, the Senate can deliberate, they can delay the law for a while, but they cannot stop it. So it's really quite ceremonial, their role. The Senate in US, their primary role is to advise and to consent. Now, all the laws that was passed through the House of Representatives in the United States, they have to be passed by the Senate as well. But the Senate also is important in terms of the appointment of the President's cabinet member, the appointment of important position. For example, the Director of FBI, the Director of CIA, different secretarial posts, they all, the major positions will need to be consented by the Senate. Now, of course, the most important position that needs to be consented by the Senate are the judges. So we have federal judges and, of course, the most important are the Supreme Court judge. So recently, of course, in the news cycle, we have seen the nominations of Justice Amy Coney Barrett by President. By the way, that is the constitutional process. The President nominates a candidate and then the Senate will advise and consent. That is the constitution. If you have been looking at the news cycle, there's a lot of discussion about how this was an invalid appointment. Do your own research. Read the constitution of America yourself and you will see that the appointment was as valid as it could be. So you can see there is tremendous balance and I really like this quote by Benjamin Franklin, of course, who was one of the founding members of America. And he said, Democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what they are going to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. So the lamb here is like the minority and you have two wolves, but because the constitution is like the well-armed liberty, that is why it is very important that there is a separation of power, that the judges, they are being nominated and consented by the Senate. They are the ones that will be true and that will rule in accordance to the text of the Constitution. So when you look at the constitutions of America, the founders, they designed it to be in such a way that it is extremely difficult to amend the Constitution. So, for example, almost after 200 years, the Constitution of America has only been amended 27 times. Now, you compare that to Malaysia in about 60 years. If we look at clause by clause, 
our parliament have amended the constitution clause by clause six to seven hundred times, you know, around that range, okay? Now, if we look at the process of amending the constitution, it is very difficult. It has to be initiated by the Congress, by the House of Representatives. It requires two-thirds votes in both houses, in the House and in the Senate. And then you need it to be ratified by 38 out of 50 states. So that is very, very difficult and is a very high threshold. But it illustrates the balance that the founders of America wanted to achieve. That any sort of amendment to the constitution, it has to be able to persuade a wide spectrum of stakeholders. And it has to be done through a lot of negotiations and compromise. So that's really how hard it is to amend the constitution. Now, the constitution is, of course, interpreted by the court. We already mentioned that, and especially by the Supreme Court. And I find it very useful because, as we have discussed previously, uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, you know, she has been confirmed, and she made a very short statement after her confirmation. And I, I feel like it really helps us to understand the rule of law and overall the American governmental system. Now, of course, talking from the perspective as a judge and judiciary, but I think it shows the separation of power. And this is what Justice Amy said. A judge declares independence not only from Congress and the president. So here you see she is drawing the lesson. The Congress, the president, Supreme Court, they are three different branches. They are separate and independent. And then she continued but also from the private beliefs that might otherwise move her. The judicial oath captures the essence of the judicial duty. The rule of law must always control. My fellow Americans, even though we judges don't face elections, we still work for you. It is your constitution that establishes the rule of law and the judicial independence that is so central to it. So in other words, Justice Amy is saying that I have to follow the Constitution even if I personally disagree with that. Now, of course, it is not easy and there is inherent human bias and preference in all things, but this is what she commits to do and this is what separates the American uh, governmental system from many, many nations. They have such a balance that is, if you want to unbalance one aspect of it, you will need the cooperation of many, many stakeholders. Now, I want to just quickly compare this American system with the system we have here in Malaysia. And, you know, Malaysia, basically, we inherited the Westminster system from the British. And, you know, it is different from American system in the sense that we vote for members of parliament. So the parliament makes the law. But from the same pool of people, a prime minister is appointed. Now, the prime minister is often described as the first among the equals. So, they are all members of parliaments, but one becomes the leader. So, you can see that the executive and the legislature, they are sort of from the same pool. And that's why sometimes there is this issue of 
the government being very oppressive and being dominant. And I think in Malaysia, we have seen that, especially in recent times, uh, you know, the previous government and the former Prime Minister Najib, we have seen that the Prime Minister becomes so powerful because the Prime Minister office, PMO, has such a budget, such an influence that the parliament, even the cabinet, were relegated to second fiddle. So I'm not trying to say that one system is better than the other system, but once we understand that there is that balance of power, it allows us to appreciate the dynamics, the issues surrounding the election. Okay, now another thing I want to quickly talk about, and because a lot of people always commented on this, and is that a lot of people, they were surprised and to a degree shocked to hear that the president in the United States is not elected through popular votes. So instead, it is elected through what we call electoral college votes, okay? Now, this is a concept that is enshrined in Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. Now, the electoral college concept is very simple. It is the fact that America is a union. That means it is a federation of many states. Each state have their own sovereignty and right. So to illustrate this, during the American Civil War, both Texas and California were still not part of the Union. And these two are probably among the most famous states that is well known to people outside America. So under this electoral college concept, each state is given a number of electoral votes based on the population. So as of today, there are 538 electors. So it depends on the state. For example, California is a large state, so it will have 55 electoral votes. And then Texas is another large state. It has 38. So for a person to become president, he or she will need 270 electoral votes. So if you are going to observe and analyze the upcoming elections, the magic number is 270 or more for a candidate to become president. So a lot of people are saying, oh, that's unfair, that's not right. But you see, the founding members devised this system so that the larger state with large population will not be able to oppress those with lower population. Now, incidentally, 90% of the time when the president wins the electoral college votes, he or she also wins the popular votes. So I think by and large, it's a fair system, but it, it creates a reasonable balance, okay? And it has worked very well for more than 200 years. So this is just to explain to you, I'm not here to analyze the pros and cons, but, you know, the, the one with the most popular votes is not necessarily going to be elected as president. Okay, I want to end with how does all this impact Malaysia? See, in Malaysia, we've been talking about having this two-party system and, you know, just having two sides where we can just choose based on the promises and delivery of either side. You see, the two-party system, it is based on the assumption that both are good and reasonable platform. And it depends on the leadership of either side to establish their own unique policy. Now, of course, in 2018, we managed to change federal government in Malaysia for the first time. But whether we have the two-party system will remain to be seen. 
You know, based on the observation and even the recent election in Sabah, it seems that we are descending into more of a European-style politics where you have multiple parties and they have to form collisions at a given time. Now, coming back to the United States, and I'm going to end with this. Since the emergence of President Donald Trump in 2016, and it's a very interesting development, Again, I want to be very clear here. I'm not here to tell you who is right, who is wrong. I want to encourage you to begin to read widely and don't, don't be worried about the biases and things like that. At the end of the day, each of us, we're going to have to make up our own mind. But what happened is that since that election, the voters have been given two extremely contrasting visions by both the political party. We have the Republican Party, we have the Democrats, and they are now clearer than ever what they represent. So there is a comparison. One is for free market, one is for socialism, one is for low tax, and one is for high tax. Now, don't assume that one is better than another because remember, democracy is about two wolves and one lamb. And it is a series of discussion, it's a series of compromise. Don't, don't oversimplify the whole process. Then it is a contrast between having a small government or having a big government. It is a contrast between, and in recent months it has become very clear, law and order versus violent expressions. You see, when we talk about the French Revolution, at that time, those who were participating in the revolution, they justify violence as a means to an end. But you see, a few hundred years later, as people look back at what happened, everyone concluded that the violence was bad. It was not justified. So today we are seeing tremendous violence in some of the cities. And, and you know, it's very difficult to make a judgment when a thing is happening. But I believe history will look back and there will be a determination and judgment. But that is an issue for the voters and many, many more. So here's the thing. How does it affect our nation? Because whichever platform wins, the policy and the platform that they are advocating, it will have an impact worldwide and it will also impact our nation. You see, Malaysia, we are a small nation. We are not a major player. So what's happening around the world, it will affect us. So again, let me conclude with this. It is for us, now going back to the first episode, we talk about the emergence of a new generation of voters. So I'm just saying to all the listeners here that it is time for us, we begin to do our homework. We begin to do our research. We begin to understand, you know, what it means to have a certain system and how they will affect us. And as a nation, we have to choose what kind of future we want, what kind of platform we want. And, you know, ultimately, as voters, we have to make an informed decision. We have to make a choice and our vote will result for better and or worse what this nation will be. Now, next week, I'm going to, you know, we have been talking about the different elements of governmental, the different elements of voting system. But next week is a very interesting show where I want to interview two young people and begin to, begin to answer some of their concerns, some of their comments regarding the state of the affairs for our nations. So until next time, 
拜拜 for now。